Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Thanks to everyone who came out in Dallas, in uh, Alabama, in Fairhope, Alabama, I should say, too, as well as St. Louis. We're back in action today. And, of course, over the weekend, I'll be in Charlotte, uh, as well as in Dayton, Ohio, as well as Kentucky. Just go to BrianKilmeade.com. Teddy and Booker T. Tour continues a couple more weeks. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we have a lot to discuss today. We're following a lot of breaking news, including what Christopher Ray goes on Capitol Hill today to ask for some surveillance power that has been abused in the past. And I think he's going to get a lot of pushback. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's a lot of Republicans who have no intent on negotiating. They want their extreme demands met or they're going to hand Ukraine to Vladimir Putin. Get it done. Two wars, Israel and Ukraine. And an ally in Taiwan needs funding. Our broken border needs fixing and Congress needs to act. I'm going to take uh, it's going to take action and compromise. Number two. I do think, especially in New Hampshire, there is a path to kind of break this uh, assumption that Donald Trump is somehow just a preemptive nominee. He's not. Yeah, not at all. And most people really won't even decide who they're voting for till whether it's in the next couple of weeks or even maybe even after Christmas. We'll see. Uh, 2024, that was Governor Sununu, of course. Then there were four. That's all that's left. Uh, as And the next GOP debate is tomorrow. The final four, Christy Vivek, DeSantis, and Haley, were battling for second as Trump primes for a town hall with Hannity. Number one. It is outrageous that some who claim to stand for justice are closing their eyes and their hearts to the victims of Hamas. When I saw the list of women's rights organizations who have said nothing, I nearly choked. Uh, That is pretty impressive. Hillary Clinton, Sheryl Sandberg, and Kristen Gillibrand all together and agree with me. Stand up, speak out, or just shut it down. That's the message to all those who discount the brutality in Israel on October 7th. The pro-Hamas protests rage in America, especially at Columbia, and frustrations mount as Joe Biden's timid response in the Red Sea when our troops are attacked in Syria and Iraq with attacks uh, are, are basically hit with back with almost nothing. And they're all sponsored by Iran. So let's talk about the war in Israel. Hamas is uh, 
likely holding back women hostages to help keep them from talking. That according to officials. And that's why the State Department believes the talks broke down and the war rages again in Gaza. The truce expired on Friday following the failure by Hamas to produce a list of additional women and children to be released. Now, what's absolutely insane, and I thought it was niche, when I saw the Oakland City Council testimony, when you have these people get up and say, we don't believe that any women were raped. We don't believe that all these 1,200 Israelis were killed in cold blood. We don't believe any of that because the Israelis always lie. I thought, okay, that's crazy California. But it turns out a lot more people, like, for example, Ivy League institutions, they're calling at Columbia, they're calling what Hamas did a counterattack. They're not talking about the rape. Those maybe didn't happen if they did happen. It's just part of a horror, horrors of war. That's not okay, is it? Matt Miller, the State Department, talked about what happened in the negotiations, cut one. The fact that it seems one of the reasons they don't want to turn women over that they've been holding hostage and the reason this pause fell apart is they don't want those women to be able to talk about what happened to them during their time in custody. Um, certainly, there is very uh, little that I would put beyond Hamas when it comes to its treatment of civilians and particularly its treatment uh, of women. So there's about 700 people who were invited to an Israel, Israeli uh, sent out the invitations to speak up about, against anti-Semitism. It is raging. Yesterday in New York City, they put out a call to flood Brooklyn. 2.30 in the afternoon, thousands show up. 4.30, they go across the Williamsburg Bridge and just shut the whole thing down. 4.30 in New York City, that's absolutely insane. Here's Hillary Clinton about the anti-Semitism. And she's, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree with Kristen Gillibrand, agree with Hillary Clinton, agree with Chuck Schumer, and most of, his, most of their party, Next Generation, do not agree. Cut three. It is outrageous that some who claim to stand for justice are closing their eyes and their hearts to the victims of Hamas. The world has to decide who to believe. Do we believe the Hamas spokesperson who said that rape is forbidden, therefore it couldn't have possibly happened on October 7th? Or do we believe the women whose bodies tell us how they spent the last minutes of their lives? When I saw the list of women's rights organizations who have said nothing, I nearly choked. Where is the solidarity for women in this country and in this world to stand up? For our mothers, our sisters, and our daughters. I don't get it. I, I I said this three weeks ago when it started, or a month ago when it began. I think I never knew this anti-Semitism could crop up, and then once it cropped up, it got recognized and spotlighted. It would actually gain steam. Who are these people? And now you have Islamic groups, Care, which represents, I think, a division of the Muslim Brotherhood, come out and basically take call, uh, turn their guns and their ire on President Biden. I know, it's upside-down world. Listen to the Jelani Hussein, the executive director of CARE, a Muslim group, Cut 17. We are announcing that President Biden has lost the 2024 election. We are not powerless as American Muslims. We are powerful. We don't only have the money, but we have the actual votes. And we will use that vote to save this nation from itself. Do you believe this? Save this nation from itself? Now, CARE is an extremist group. There's nothing that President Biden is doing that is out of the ordinary. Any other president would do it and back it. The way they were attacked, this is the response. I understand you got to you got to think about the, the the innocents, the civilians. Got it. But 
Hamas is responsible. They're the ones hiding amongst them. They're the cowards who hit civilians, sneak up on military officers, kidnap or kill, and then run home and then hide behind civilians who have no evil intent, you would think. But that's the Democratic Party right now. So you do the right thing if you're President Biden and it turns out you lose the Muslim vote and you lose the next generation Democratic vote. It is absolutely insane. So I wish it was over. I thought maybe we look back and say, remember early on after the October 7th, you saw those pro-Palestinian eruptions. Now you're seeing pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas. And again, big media in Colombia about the counterattack October 7th. Think about that. If you found out your kid was going to that at college, you're paying, what, $70,000 for this? Meanwhile, tomorrow night, the GOP debate shrinks to four. You got Vivek, Christie, Haley, uh, DeSantis. Be interesting. Doug Bergram dropped out yesterday. We told you that during the show. Uh, I look I look forward to it. Uh, you know, you look to see who's going to emerge. Vivek is the best thing that ever happened to DeSantis and Nikki Haley because Nikki Haley and Vivek uh, went at it and helped her define her foreign policy and outline how ill thought out this brilliant billionaire was when it comes to foreign policy. But that's just it. It's Haley against DeSantis to see who would be there if Trump drops or when they actually do the voting of people it don't turn out for him in the primary like they are turning out with him in the polls. So it's clear DeSantis and Haley see each other as a threat. They're not so much going after Trump. Listen to DeSantis, cut 21. I think Nikki Haley really represents uh, the last gasp of a failed establishment where she wants to force everybody to register their identities on social media. She said, I want their names. She said we should have unlimited immigration that's controlled by corporate CEOs rather than we the people. And of course, she took the side of Disney against me and the state of Florida when it came to protecting kids uh, from uh, sexualization of elementary school curriculum. So she's out of step with the vast, vast majority of Republican voters. And that's up to him to go after that. So I, I think it's pretty clear. When you have people on the left come out and say, why don't you have the guts to go after Donald Trump? It doesn't work. It's not a matter of guts. People take it personal. Trump has got to implode for the others to get past him. He's got to do something. And I, can't, I don't know what it is. Uh, make it so obvious that they catch up to him in the polls and they don't lose his voters. Because if you win the primary and lose all the Trump supporters, you're going to get blown out in the general. You need everybody plus in order to be successful. But what they're doing is they're losing Democrats. You're seeing it over and over again. No one can really make heads or tails of President uh, Biden. He doesn't inspire anybody. He worries everybody. Here's Raymond Lopez. He was on with Jesse last night. He's an alderman, Democrat, in Chicago. He cannot believe this mayor is saying we can handle 10 city illegal immigrants on the streets of Chicago, not even delivering a letter to the border to say stop bringing people here. Cut 10. Most of the Democratic voters feel as though this party no longer represents them, that it's been lurching too far to the left, to the extreme, trying to placate the socialists, the squad, and all the rest of them, while leaving a vast majority of our voter, our voting base off in the wilderness with nowhere else to go but to the embrace of the Republican Party, which they're not doing willingly, but only because they feel they have nowhere else to go. And in a very close election, which we expect to be between uh, President Trump and President Biden again facing off, losing 10 percent of your base because you push them to the side can mean all the difference in states like 
not just Illinois, but in all those swing states that they're going to need to win back the presidency. I hear you. So what they're going to do is, since Joe Biden's terrible and since his policies are not popular, only 26 percent of the country thinks we're heading in the right direction. His approval on the real clear average is 40. It's probably more like 36. They're just going to make Donald Trump unelectable. We're seeing it already. They're saying it's the end of democracy if he's elected. It's the end of the country if he's elected. He's never going to leave if he's elected. You're seeing this over and over again. In fact, that was brought up to uh, Britton Hume last night. You might not like Trump. You might not like January 6th. But my goodness, I mean, aren't you going a little off kilter? Listen to Maggie Haberman, Cut 14 of the New York Times. You know, this is not hypothetical, Caitlin. These are generally based on his own piece in June was about how he said he was going to appoint a real special prosecutor, quote unquote, to go after President Biden and his family. He has talked about uh, wanting to have more control over, you know, cities. There was a, a comment that he made in March where he talked about, uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to wait for permission to go in, something to that effect. He has a policy staff that is working on a, a very, very uh, radical immigration plan. It's not that dissimilar from what Trump was talking about in 2016. He has outside groups that are working on efforts to try to, uh, you know, not just staff a second administration, but help him gut the civil service and to try to take greater control over pockets of authority uh, of uh, independence within the government. Okay, I I wrote this down as quick as I could. You could say that and the average person might get a little exercise, but if you use your head, he's not. What he's trying to say is crime in the cities has gotten so bad. I asked for permission to bring in federal troops. I'm not going to ask for federal troops right now. He doesn't want to take over the city. He wants to provide law and order because the cops aren't backed up. There's not enough of them. They're not backed up by a legal system. So I'll bring in federal troops like what happened in Oregon. Number two, when it comes to immigration, there's a huge problem with immigration. There's illegals everywhere. There should be more work visas. Yes. But we have now added 15 million outsiders from since Joe Biden took office. Is that okay with you? It's not with me, and it's not to the people that are going to elect Donald Trump. Real prosecutors. He spent the last two and a half years dealing with Joe Biden's uh, Justice Department, going after him on documents on on his in New York, on uh, the civil case, on the way he does uh, business. We have uh, January 6th, all this stuff. They're doing four indictments, 91 charges. He's saying, we're going to find out what actually happened With the Biden family and all this money from China, Kazakhstan and Ukraine and other places like Romania. The next one they just talked about. I can't even read my writing on this. I uh, I didn't even uh, see what he was talking. What is that? I can't even read my writing. Uh, But on the last one, this is all what Donald Trump is going to do. He's not running from this. This is not a big secret. It's not a crackdown. Take oh, Oh, here it is. Civil service. Do you think our civil service workers are efficient? Do you think they're maximizing their effort? Do you think their lifetime appointment unable to fire is working out for the American people? Do you think our government is too bloated? Yes, 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 yes. That doesn't mean blowing up the system. It's making the system run more accountable. That's called an agenda. I mean, what if I told you there's going to be a president going to come in here and get us off our chief energy source, even if we're not ready for it? What if I told you he's going to make us buy a electric car that's going to make us more dependent on China? I mean, what if I told you there was going to be a president that was going to let Central and South America go to Iran, China, and Russia? What if I told you there was a president that was going to let everybody in and give them four years to have a court date 
if you came to the southern border. You'd say this is treasonous, wouldn't you? Well, I told you that there was a president that was just going to defy all his military people and pull us out of Afghanistan and leave billions of dollars of weaponry there for every terrorist to pick up and then deny that anyone gave him advice that this thing could go awry. What would you tell me about that president? That's called Joe Biden. I mean, this is an agenda. People, are, they're trying to scare you. If you don't want to vote for Donald Trump, just make it your own decision. Don't make it because Maggie Haberman says he's dangerous or Liz Cheney, who's lost her mind uh, because of January 6th. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 I'll be able to take your calls and more. And then welcome in Alan West. Back in a moment. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think it's the worst president we ever had, to be honest with you. This economy sucks. I mean, everything's going up, except, you know, paychecks. He's got nerves. I'm a registered Democrat, but I'm not happy. I don't think any of them see it through the eyes of the people. I think they all see it through the eyes of Washington. I don't think he actually, like, grew up, like, here technically, so he uses that as, like, that he cares about us. Go Trump. Uh, that is a look at some of the residents there uh, in Delaware about how they feel about, excuse me, in Pennsylvania, how they feel about uh, President Biden. He's going to have an uphill battle in Pennsylvania, and if Donald Trump plays his card rights and plays a little conservative, doesn't go out there and say, I'm going to take away Obamacare and make people rethink and get worried about Social Security or anything like that. Uh, they worry about just, I know the the cases are going to be a challenge, but if he just plays it relatively conservative on his risks and is able to hold on to this lead, he will take him out because of sentiment like that, just because of a track record. And nobody really believes that it's Scranton Joe, especially when you bring up all these things about what his really was up to with his family and making money. I'm going to play some of this with Colonel West when I get back, just about as uh, they found out with uh, Congressman Comer, who's looking into the finance of the Biden family. Joe was on a basically uh, it was getting money every single month from Hunter Biden's business account. We don't know any about it. what is a loan. It was for a truck. What truck are you talking about? What do you mean he lent it to him? Where is this money? If you do your taxes, if you're in your own business or if you uh, an entrepreneur where you got to do your own taxes, and you have to – do you know how extensive you have to itemize everything? It's unbelievably detailed. If you have a good account, they'll make you itemize everything. If you are paying somebody every month and you're saying it's a loan, the IRS wants to see that loan. 
And if you're paying someone every month, he's got to declare or she's got to declare that you're getting that money. And you got to declare that you spent that money and you got to tell us where you got the money from. Did anyone in the Biden family, I sound like Harry Reid, pay taxes on anything? That's going to be key. We go back and we're going to talk about uh, what's going on at the border and talk about this piece of legislation. It's got four prongs to it. Uh, I think there's an absolute necessity to fund Ukraine, to protect Taiwan and help Israel, as well as the border. I want all four, and it can happen. Get it done, guys. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm not tying anything to Ukraine. What we're saying is, is if the administration wants to talk about supplemental funding, for anything, the southern border must be secured first. Until that happens, the, the House is closed. The House is the House is going to look at the appropriation bills for the federal agencies. No more, no less. They got to do their job. Why would we continue to fund other other operations in the world if our border remains unsecured? That makes no sense. That's 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 basic mismanagement of the people's pocketbook and of the people's nation. We're not going to do that. Right. Uh, I agree. Get the border involved. I like that move. But just fund everything. Because if you take if you let the Ukraine go, you'll be just as guilty as Joe Biden was for letting Afghanistan go. You can't just say, well, it's not my problem. Oh, wait a second. It's an imperfect democracy. Wait, I think there's some corruption there. No, they're taking out the Russian army. They fight like warriors and they're just asking for their autonomy back. You let that go. They the NATO uh, officials said within five years, they expect a total attack on Eastern Europe, and the Baltic nations have already been directly threatened by Vladimir Putin. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us now, Executive Director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. Colonel, welcome back. Your thoughts about Byron not, uh, Donald's linking this all together? Look, I think it's important. You know, I live here in Texas, and, and I see what's happening on our border. And if we cannot prioritize our border and our security first and foremost, you cannot have tens of thousands of Chinese uh, military-age males coming across the border, a million to a million and a half gotaways that we don't know, mainly uh, single uh, military-age males operating within this country. We see what's happening with these Hamas protesters in this country. We have got to address that. And let me tell you how absolutely absurd it's gotten. You know, the Army-Navy game is this weekend, and there are people who had uh, hotel reservations to attend the Army-Navy game getting their reservations canceled because hotels are prioritizing the lodging of illegal immigrants over people that want to go see the Army-Navy game. So I think right now the American people understand that the border needs to be taken care of first. We can do what is necessary to help out with Ukraine. Uh, NATO and the rest of the European nations need to step up as well. But we've got a situation on our border here that can have catastrophic ramifications if we don't rectify it. I know, and I agree. But don't you think this is one of those times where the Democrats have to play ball? Well, they do. I mean, well, 
they, they, to them, they, they don't think that they should. They don't think that they have to because their ideological agenda is all about the open borders and undermining our quote-unquote constitutional republic. But look at what has happened in Chicago. You know, that hard demographic of, you know, inner-city urban blacks are coming out against these uh, resettlement of illegal immigrants into their communities. So I don't know how they think politically this is going to play out as a good thing for them, but we have got to prioritize our border security first and foremost, especially at a time, like I said, when there is no doubt that we have terrorists that have come across this border. We have captured some, uh, but there are many, I'm sure, that have slipped through the, uh, the cracks. So uh, the other th- big decision the House has to decide if they want to go have a vote for impeachment inquiry. They only have a three-vote advantage, and I'm telling you, I don't think the New York guys are going to vote for it. Uh, so it could be embarrassing for the Speaker if he puts up to a vote. I actually don't want to see an impeachment. Uh, it's not going to happen. They're never going to get the votes in the Senate. They don't even have the votes in the House. But I want to see the investigation. The investigation has been uh, been revelatory. I mean, it's been unbelievable what they've been able to do. Look what they yeah. just found, though. Here's Chairman Comer, cut 34. If you look at the last four payments that we found with ties directly to Joe Biden, uh, they amount to uh, a, a half a million dollars. And in every instance, they've said this was a loan repayment. And, and that's just hard to believe, Sean, unless you've got documentation to prove that it was a loan, which Obviously, according to the emails from the banks, they do not. But whether it was a loan or not, it's not important, John. What matters is the way the money was paid to Joe Biden was directly through influence peddling. And now this is the second payment or series of payments to Joe Biden that came directly from China. There's no disputing that. Even the White House isn't disputing the money to repay Joe Biden, if in fact it was a loan, came from China. So does that bother you? And do you ever do your taxes? Have you ever do something on your own, like you give speeches? Colonel, you got to write down every your airline. Did you pay for that? Did you did you have a did you pay for your meals on the way back? You know, did you have to buy a special outfit to do that? If you did, you have to prove it and see if you could write that thing off. And believe me, if you paid somebody else to help you out, you got to give them a ten ninety nine. There's so much paperwork on the on the on us everyday guys, as opposed to the former vice president president. I mean, what are they doing? Where are the taxes being paid on all this stuff? Well, I can tell you without a doubt, uh, the investigation is necessary, and I think it's important that we talk about this this uh, ideal of influence peddling. Uh, And when you look at the way that we are handling, you know, China and some of these other uh, countries, uh, there's no doubt that there is some some influence that is there that is not in the best interest of the United States of America. But I will pivot over and say, if you're going to impeach Joe Biden, if you're going to impeach the Biden administration, the most important issue is on the dereliction of duty, the disregard of the United States Constitution, and protecting the sovereignty of this country and protecting our border. Everyone can get that. Everyone can understand that. And I don't think that there will be any debate about it. And the House serves as a grand jury. And I'd love to see over in the United States Senate them try to talk their way out of saying that Joe Biden has not violated the Constitution when it comes to illegal immigration. It's going to be a lot different uh, when when you start talking about these financial issues. But I think the revelation is important to show that we do have a corrupt person in the Oval Office that is affecting our foreign policy. Yes. 
Uh, I would love to see it exposed. But we saw with Trump in the Ukraine call, he got stronger. We saw with Clinton and Lewinsky, he ran away with the reelection. And you might have a good intent. I just would I just think that it's so tedious and nothing else gets done when this gets done. I think it's a big mistake to go for impeachment. I love the investigation. It seems legitimate. It's something I could even understand as a non-accountant. Uh, because I never heard of giving a loan to anybody of magnitude. I never got $5 million from China and, can they, and not be yeah. able to answer the question, where is that money? Why are you, Hunter Biden, with the most expensive attorney in Washington, yet you have no job? This is not – there's nothing logical here. No, and that's a dark cloud that will hang over Joe Biden going into 2024. But, again, I come back to saying we have to hold people accountable if they do not abide by the rule of law, if they look at our Constitution and disregard it. And that's the the issue with what we see happening on our border. And uh, I don't think that that makes Joe Biden stronger if we impeach him on the border. Why? Because this is something that's affecting people. The fentanyl issue, you have so many people, they're losing loved ones. The human and sex trafficking issue, the, the issue of terrorism coming into this country. So I think if there's one impeachment offense American people can get, it's the impeachment offense on this open border. But, but you know, Colonel, you're right, but it's not going to happen. If they do get all the votes in the House, and I doubt they will, it's going to go to the Senate and it's going to die in the vine. And but we're going to lose six weeks of our life. But but I don't think you lose six weeks. And coming into 2024, what what is the what is the point to be made? That the Democrats, who are always talking about undermining our democracy, are undermining our constitutional republic. They're undermining the sovereignty of the United States of America. They don't care that your loved ones are dying because of fentanyl. They don't care about the human and sex trafficking that is happening because for them, it's all about allowing well, I know. illegal. That's fentanyl. how that's how I beat you in an election. I don't think I, I win you over in, in impeachment. They just say, you know, we're going to hear a bunch of lawyers uh, going on, and they're going to bring, you know, bring up Donald Trump, compare it to Trump. Uh, I, I, that was so tedious last time. I wanted to shoot myself. Uh, and Trump got stronger out of it. So I, I don't, you know, because it was so stupid, a Ukrainian phone call. Think about that. The day he, the two, well, be, two days after he beats the Mueller report, we're, we're getting him impeached with the, with the Ukrainian phone call. Which, which had nothing to do with the Constitution. And that's, that's my point, Brian. Yeah. If we don't stand up and hold our highest executive uh, accountable to our rule of law, we're setting a very bad precedent going forward. All right, so you were in Ponte Vedra over the weekend, Operation New Uniform. I was yeah. at that event last year with you. Tell us how it was this year. It's an incredible event. What Operation New Uniform is all about is helping our men and women transition from the military and getting good quality uh, career jobs and get good quality placement. Uh, Michelle McManama does an incredible job with their uh, proprietary uh, training that gets these people into jobs that the uh, their starting average is like $81,000, and that's what we want to have. But, you know, how shameful it is that we have to have a gala like this to to help our veterans when all you have to do, it seems, is uh, come across the border illegally and you get all kind of taxpayer-funded benefits and you get to stay in nice hotels. That's true. Uh, it's amazing because I think one of the best things you can recruit is you tell people that we're going to help you set, set, up, set you up with a job when you get done. 
Well, let me show you the, uh, the yeah. employment center. Let me tell you what type of transition. Let me give you an example of if you are an intel agent, the type of careers that could be waiting for you, or whatever it is. It just seems they drop the yeah. ball when it comes to your exit interview in the military. They are dropping the ball in their recent reports right now that says the uh, Veterans Administration is actually providing uh, medical services to illegal immigrants. Uh, and, again, that's just another slap in the face of our veterans. All right, uh, Colonel, thanks so much. I'm so glad you went out there, and I'll see you soon. Yeah. Always uh, a pleasure. God bless. Take care. Merry Christmas. Uh, back at you. one uh, 408 Just looking now at video live in Arizona. You probably have what I'm seeing right now on Fox News. Looks like uh, about 5,000 people just lined up on our side of the border, full of just just paperwork everywhere and debris and blankets. The people are just waiting to come in because word came out, if you get here, you can stay. Thank you, Joe Biden. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you expel somebody like, you know, uh, George Santos, how can you allow somebody like, uh, you know, Senator Menendez remain in the Senate as well, too? Because I promise you that one of the main major differences between uh, Representative, former Representative Santos and Senator Menendez is $300 million of munitions, you know, with Egypt as well, too. And uh, Santos is never uh, accused of being a, a foreign agent. So that's what they're saying. That is Senator Fetterman, again, shocking, firmly in Israel's corner, strong, stronger than the president on Israel, going after Menendez. Uh, it's, uh, you know, well, by the way, I'm glad for him. He's actually able to speak. I didn't think he was able to come back. I thought he was just done because of the stroke. So, he, you know, no one's even talking about it, but he could actually speak now and get out. And he's he's relatively funny. He seems to have a sense of humor. So I'm happy for him. But how weird is this where Hillary Clinton is getting heckled because of her support for an issue? Senator Schumer takes two weeks because she can't figure out why 18 to 34s don't agree with him on Israel. He finally speaks out and says something that we've been saying here forever about anti-Semitism and the need to support Israel and the evilness of Hamas and the ridiculousness of a two-state solution. It's just dumb. And I just want you to hear uh, what uh, Congresswoman Pamela Jayapal had to say. This was on Sunday. And still, almost nobody on the left condemns this, although Hillary Clinton got closest without using her name. Cut seven. Morally, I think we cannot say that one war crime deserves another. That is not what international humanitarian with, with, law says. Okay, with, with respect, I was just asking about the, the women, and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that... Rape is horrific. Sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. The outrages are unintentional. The only option you have if somebody one mile from your border who rockets you for 15 years after you gave them all of Gaza, and you use the money that you get from aid to build weapons and dig tunnels, 
You have to finish them off. Understand this. Whatever those scenes look like, I don't believe any of the numbers, and I'm not going to apologize that Hamas puts out. The president apologized for not believing Hamas's casualties numbers. Please. So, of all people, Hillary Clinton is the person I, I agree with. Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook. I agree with her. Agree with Chuck Schumer. Here's Matt Continenti on the tough situation Biden finds himself in now. Cut six. It's not just a moral equivalence. It's a double standard. And to blame Jews for their own victimization has a name. It's anti-Semitism. And to say that Me Too only applies to favored groups and not to Jews is anti-Semitism. For the broader party, it's a huge dilemma for President Biden because it's already shaping his response to the war in the Middle East in ways that is constraining Israel and hurting its ability to carry out its objectives of destroying Hamas, Brad. And we have to remember, at the end of the day, the American people are pro-Israel, and they will support Israel, and they want Israel to win this war. And if Biden prevents Israel from doing that, it will seriously damage his re-election campaign. And if Republicans just walk away like Senator Howley on Ukraine, it will damage them. Because Democrats will say, you know what I wanted to do. I wanted to fund Ukraine, and now we're letting Russia take that country, kill Zelensky. You know Democrats are going to say, and they have a case, that Republicans cause that. Now, President Biden's done a terrible job communicating what we're doing, what the end game is. He is slow-walking weapon systems that have allowed many Ukrainians to live and a lot of their power stations to exist. Now, I understand the Washington Post wrote a big story about the dissension last spring when it came to the spring offensive. You know, we had a different idea than they did. We told them they should be using more demining when they go out and before they move forward rather than just stand there. You let you uh, Russia rearm. We wanted to consolidate and have one point to break through. And Ukraine says, no, we have to press everywhere or Russia's going to gain everywhere that we're not. So they pushed and spread out. So there's some disagreements now and people feel comfortable saying it. But and you might be unhappy that President Biden is working with Zelensky because you are mad at Zelensky because of President Trump and the problems he had in Ukraine. you got to put all that behind you. There's just flat out right and wrong. So what we do in Ukraine has everything to do with what's going to happen to all the Baltic countries. Just ask Lithuania. Just ask Moldova. They're already starting to infiltrate Moldova. Ask Georgia. Now they're starting to um, circumvent elections and bribe officials to get more pro-Russian more pro-Russian uh, politicians in positions of power. So Russia's probably not going to do the massive invasion often because they got burned so bad. They're going to learn from this, come back, fortify, create their own military base, and be more formidable. It's only going to get worse unless you let Ukraine take them down. And do not let them die in the vine because you don't like Joe Biden. That would be bad. Remember, you got to think America first. So go to BrianKilme.com and pick up two great America, uh, pick up a book about two great Americans, Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington, how two American icons place a path to racial equality. You have to search for it for some reason on Fox Nation, but it's there. Just put in my name and it pops up. It's a great hour special. And I'm going to be in Michigan as well as Pennsylvania next weekend, North Carolina this weekend, Dayton on Friday. Go to BrianKilme.com and make your reservations. Be there. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division.
It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We move ahead with a great hour. Kellen, uh, uh, Kellen Curry is going to be here uh, in about 15 minutes. He's running for Congress in New York because George Santos, uh, basically his district, he got fired. So they're going to have a special session to try to fill that slot and, of course, do a re-election again in November. The, the Democrat has a real shot there. I know it's right in my district. Eli Lake, contributing editor of the Commentary Magazine, great insight on foreign affairs. There's so much going on this week, and even before the holidays gets done, something else has to get done. We're also going to do a simulcast. You'll get to see what I look like on FBN if you're not smart enough to get the Fox Nation app. Now, the other thing I want to tell you, too, is I get this, and I'm on the book tour. I have people say to me, how do I get your show? And if you're not in our family of affiliates, change that. But if not, you get the app, you open up the front page, and just click on the headsets. And then it'll come right to us, live or on tape. You just page down. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's a lot of Republicans who have no intent on negotiating. They want their extreme demands met, or they're going to hand Ukraine to Vladimir Putin. It's not extreme demands. They want the border done. But I do think Republicans got to get on board with seeing the importance of Ukraine. Get it done. Two wars, Israel and Ukraine, and as an ally in Taiwan, need some funding. Uh, They want to buy more weapons. Our broken border needs fixing, and Congress needs to act now. It's going to take action, and it's going to take compromise. Do it, guys. Number two. I do think, especially in New Hampshire, there is a path to kind of break this uh, assumption that Donald Trump is somehow just a preemptive nominee. He's not. Uh, not at all. And most people really won't even decide who they're voting for till whether it's in the next couple of weeks or even maybe even after Christmas. Uh, that's incredible. Governor Chris Sununu saying, don't give up hope yet if, because he doesn't want Trump to be the nominee. 2024. Then there were four. That's all that's left now. When you're talking about Christie, Vivek, DeSantis and Haley all battling in the second debate tomorrow. And Donald Trump goes prime time on a town hall with Hannity tonight. Number one. It is outrageous that some who claim to stand for justice are closing their eyes and their hearts to the victims of Hamas. When I saw the list of women's rights organizations who have said nothing, I nearly choked. Nearly, nearly choked. That is Senator Gillibrand. I can't believe it. And Hillary Clinton. Can't believe it. I agree with both. Stand up, speak out, or just shut it down. That's the message to all those those who discount the brutality in Israel uh, on October 7th, and the pro-Hamas protests that rage in America. And frustration mounts on Joe Biden's timid response to the Red Sea, Syria, and Iraq, with attacks on our troops, all sponsored by Iran. we got to get tougher right away. Don't tell me you're risk-adverse, because the longer you wait to hit back after what we saw those civilian vessels get targeted, Eisenhower get targeted by a drone, and then we were able to shoot down... Uh, some, but what about going right at the Houthi rebels? We know where this goes from. They're not a bunch of uh, they're not a bunch of Bedouins. These guys are armed by by Iran, aiming at us, aiming at Israel. They already knocked down a few cruise missiles. We have to wake up to the danger there. The other thing, in case you think I'm making it up, or people think the anti-Semitism in America has been over over overblown, think about this in Colombia. At Columbia University, don't need to tell you an Ivy League institution, there's a big push to salute October 7th. Yep, the October 7th counterattack, according to these people calling for this meeting of, to, of supporters of Hamas. Because 
at Columbia, they will host an event called Significance of the October 7th Palestinian Counteroffensive. We will discuss the significance of the Palestinian counteroffensive of October 7th and the centrality of revolutionary violence to anti-imperialism Columbia social workers for Palestine. That was advertised on Sunday, and they're going to get a big turnout. Pro-Palestinian protesters, counter-protesters by pro-Israel marchers in New York City. But I tell you what, what I saw in Brooklyn, it was mostly all pro-Palestinian. In Virginia, a Jewish group slams the art festival for disallowing a Hanukkah celebration. The Jewish members of that uh, organization were shocked and alarmed. So were we, and we weren't. So that's this whole thing, this anti, this, the, the anti-Semitism has really caught me by surprise and is continuing to show its head. Now, here is Hillary Clinton yesterday. Cut three. It is outrageous that some who claim to stand for justice are closing their eyes and their hearts to the victims of Hamas. The world has to decide who to believe. Do we believe the Hamas spokesperson who said that rape is forbidden, therefore it couldn't have possibly happened on October 7th? Or do we believe the women whose bodies tell us how they spent the last minutes of their lives. When I saw the list of women's rights organizations who have said nothing, I nearly choked. Where is the solidarity for women in this country and in this world to stand up for our mothers, our sisters, and our daughters? So you have to let Israel finish the job. Put up with any of the consternation, the, some of the outrage, whatever it is. Let them finish the job. You understand military tactics, but they're as good in their region as there's ever been. Yeah, they use our material, but, man, are they ready. Also, they're training because Hezbollah, they have some key sites there that they've blown up. In Syria, they killed two Iranian generals there. I think that's important. In Iraq, there are Iranian militias targeting us. If they are not successful, if Israel's in a drawn-out campaign, they've already lost some guys in this. But they got to wipe out Hamas, who are hiding behind the skirts of the Palestinian people. Here's Matt Continenti of The Washington Times, cut six. It's not just a moral equivalence, it's a double standard. And to blame Jews for their own victimization has a name, it's anti-Semitism. And to say that Me Too only applies to favored groups and not to Jews is anti-Semitism. But for the broader party, it's a huge dilemma for President Biden because it's already shaping his response to the war in the Middle East in ways that is constraining Israel and hurting its ability to carry out its objectives of destroying Hamas, Brett. And we have to remember, at the end of the day, the American people are pro-Israel, and they will support Israel, and they want Israel to win this war. And if Biden prevents Israel from doing that, it will seriously damage his re-election. I don't know. I do not know if America is firmly in Israel's court. I know Republicans are. I know independents are. I do not think the majority of Democrats, I think it's about 50-50 at this point. And if they come back for another term, President Biden is probably going to not abandon them, but begin to uh, back off. Plus, they don't like Netanyahu. None of these Democrats like Netanyahu. Uh, Barack Obama couldn't stomach him, didn't want to be in the same place as him. And now you got the Turkey president, Erdogan, who's a piece of crap himself. He's condemning Israel and says they should be, Netanyahu should be brought up on war crimes. That's the crazy thing. Joe Biden stands up and says, I got you back. I'll go visit you. I heard what happened October 7th. I'll give you weapons. Got it. And now he loses his base. They're speaking up. There's Muslim base. And they're, they're upset at him. It wouldn't bother me. Even if I lost the next election. I'm like, really? By siding with uh, Israel, you think uh, you're not going to vote for me? Okay. Don't. 
Don't. I'll support the no, number one democracy. One has been uh, one is one of our greatest allies on the planet. One who provides great intelligence and insight and innovation. You got it. You know, you don't want to vote for me. Don't. I'll lose. It's OK. I'll do the right thing, though. He's got to be willing to do that. And don't equivocate. Here's Chris Bedford of what he's seen among the Democrats. Cut five. It was 2016 when mobs were around Washington, D.C., were burning automobiles and chasing people. And once political violence is let out and, and, and said it's okay by, by congressmen and by Nancy, uh, Nancy Pelosi at the time, by governors, then it continues to spread. And people start to get angry when you make people feel threatened, when you make those people who are loyal to law and order feel like law and order isn't protecting them. And those other people on the other side saying law and order is the enemy. You end up with a really toxic, dangerous, and increasingly violent situation. You think? So in 2024, where they talk about violence, that's exactly what's happening if Donald Trump wins the election. Do you see what's taking place? And I said this on the Saturday show, One Nation, uh, two weeks ago, and I indicated again this week. If Donald Trump wins the election, that's the easy part. He's going to have such a divided country who are going to be convinced that every move he makes is wrong, and it is to make himself permanent president of the country. Liz Cheney is fueling this ridiculous lark. Cut 13. You think this is a vote about whether or not we still have democracy in this country? It certainly is. You know, and and Donald Trump has told us exactly what he will do. He will not abide by the rulings of the courts. Uh, He uh, will certainly appoint people to office, whether or not they can be confirmed by the Senate. Um, He uh, has talked about using the military uh, in terms that uh, really are fundamentally un-American, including here in the United States. So it's a very dangerous moment. I think January 6th was terrible. But I don't think that was planned where you go in there and you take over the place and you run it. I don't. But I think as he had a rally, go down there and let your voice be heard, it got out of control. I have no interest in debating it. Either do you. But to think as a guy wins an election, he's going to stay there forever. Number two, he is going to put martial law into place, arrest his enemies, is just wrong. But that's what Maggie Haberman is actually saying, cut 14. Piece in June was about how he said he was going to appoint a real special prosecutor, quote unquote, to go after President Biden and his family. He has talked about uh, wanting to have more control over, you know, cities. There was a, a comment that he made in March where he talked about, uh, you know, we're not we're not going to wait for permission to go in, something to that effect. He has a policy staff that is working on a a very very uh, radical immigration plan. It's not that dissimilar from what Trump was talking about in 2016. He has outside groups that are working on efforts to try to, uh, you know, not just staff a second administration, but help him gut the civil service and to try to take greater control over pockets of authority uh, of uh, independence within the government. So this is all from his own mouth. Okay, everything she said is skewed. He says that he is not going to wait for permission from governors, Democratic governors, when chaos rages in the streets of Chicago, uh, in New York, in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, in Los Angeles and San Francisco. He said, I waited for permission last time. Now I'm not. He's got a lot of sentiment on his side when it comes to sanctuary cities. He wants to make sure that is implemented. will be more aggressive doing it. Uh, he wants to enforce the border. He wants to get control of the people here illegally. It doesn't mean chaos and anarchy. It doesn't mean oppression and uh, authoritarianism. It doesn't mean any of those things. And with the crazy thing is, if he wins, people will think that. It's nuts. 
When we come back, uh, Kellen Curry joins us. He's running for Congress, a seat that opened up because of George Santos. And, if, of course, it'll be a great bellwether to see where the American electorate is because it's truly purple area. He's an Air Force vet. Uh, he's going to talk about it and why he wants that position on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It was a regrettable day. You know, prior to yesterday, only five people had ever been expelled from Congress. Three were Confederates, two were convicted of federal charges. And George Santos has not been convicted in a court. The great battles of liberty of all through the dark ages were about people being able to have adjudicated what they were accused of in open courts. So that is uh, Byron Donalds, as well as Speaker Johnson, talking about how they would not, did not, were not for, and did not vote for the expulsion of George Santos. But he is gone. That seat is now open on Long Island. He was a Republican. He is now done. Kellen Curry wants to fill that seat, most likely going against Tom Swazi, uh, who has got a lot of experience there and had a similar district, who was redistrict. Kellen Curry was running for the New York Third uh, District and joins us now. Uh, Kellen, welcome. Uh, welcome. What made you want to jump in and take Santos' seat? Well, absolutely, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is uh, shaping up to be a pretty intense uh, special election. But uh, but listen, I'm, I'm I'm in this race. We've been in it for nine months. We've raised over uh, just a uh, just a hair under half a million dollars. We've gotten endorsements from sitting members of Congress, and so we're fired up and ready to go for this special election. But I'm I'm, I'm a third generation veteran. I'm an Afghanistan war veteran. Uh, when I saw the images of this Biden administration's disastrous withdrawal uh, from that country, the 13 Marines that we lost, we left billions of dollars behind in equipment to the Taliban. Uh, I was pissed off like a lot of veterans. And so uh, I started to think about uh, ways to get back into public service. And then we all found out about George Santos. And so uh, it was it was just time for me to leave, uh, leave the office, leave the corporate job and and get back into public service. I'm happy to do it. And uh, we've been at this uh, for a few for a few months now, and it feels great. Uh, really excited to get underway uh, this special election here coming up soon. So you got to have a four hundred thousand dollars, they say. You'll be the first Black American in Congress from Long Island, uh, Kellen, in particular. Regardless, you have to get the nomination first. How do they do it in a special election? Yeah, it's it's, a, it's an interesting setup here in New York. You know what they do in a special election is uh, you go before a selection committee, and uh, we did that yesterday. Uh, we presented uh, ourselves and our campaign and all that we've accomplished over the last nine months to the committee. And uh, I think it went very well. We put on a very strong case uh, for why we should be the nominee uh, again. And we always we were the first ones in this race because we felt like this would uh, it would could, it could potentially go down this route. And so here we are. So uh, it was a very good move on our part to get in early. Uh, we built uh, a good a good base uh, here in the district and around the country. Uh, and so that's the process. Uh, you go before a committee and uh, you pitch yourself and then uh, they'll make a decision, I believe, here by the end of the week. I think we want to have a nominee right. uh, selected and out there running as soon as possible. And when is the special election? Well, it should it should hit late February uh, here. You know, it's, it's uh, the, the governor has to set a date 70 to 80 days after a vacancy occurs. Uh, so that puts us about late, late February, maybe early March. What do you run on? Do you run against Joe Biden's agenda? Do you run against uh, uh, Tom Swazi, who's likely to be the opponent? Specifically, what do, you, what do you plan on running on? 
Yeah, overall, the issues are with us. You know, we just had special elections here a few Tuesdays ago, and Republicans did very well from 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 the portion of Queens that, that I represent all the way uh, across uh, Nassau County. And so I feel very good about uh, Republicans being excited. The issues that I hear about most are, are border security, uh, border security and inflation. Uh, border security at this point is a, is a national security issue. I mean, you know, here in the city, we were getting 10,000 new migrants every single month over the summer. Uh, we're still Still dealing with uh, the fallout of that in terms of our budget, in terms of destabilizing our, our communities and our society and our regional economy here. And so people are concerned about getting a handle on, on immigration. There's a number of cases right. right now of terrorists crossing the border. And so that's what people uh, want, want solutions uh, for uh, here in the district. And of course, we have some you know unique things around uh, the, the state and local cap, cap deduction, expanding the 9-11 compensation fund and things like that. Kellen uh, Curry wants to take George Santos to see is a fellow Republican. Kellen, do you believe that Santos poisoned the well for Republicans? Oh, absolutely not. And I think that was the question that we answered a few Tuesdays ago. You know, we won this district back in 2022 for the first time in about 10 years, depending on how you draw the lines. And so people were, were watching to see if we could carry uh, some of the local elections that were bellwether districts uh, for, for this special election. And we did that. Uh, we, we proved once again that New York Republicans in this era of overreach by the Democrats, uh, we can be successful. And uh, we proved that we're going to run on that again uh, here in here in a few months. You know, Tom Swasey was a failed congressional uh, backbencher. Uh, he left this seat to run for governor. It was a disaster. Uh, he then went left to be a, a lobbyist. And so uh, we have a we have a great setup going into this special election. I feel very confident yeah. about who we're running. What, against, what are the, the how would you describe your district? Yeah, it's a very unique district. It's a, it's a it's a diverse place. It's probably 20% Jewish population that's very concerned about what's going on in Israel and, and Hamas war. Uh, we have about uh, 12% Asian, 10% Hispanic, 5% uh, black. Huh. Uh, a lot of immigrant communities uh, from the Queens area. So it you know it's a very right. very unique district. Well, Kellen, it, it sounds like you have the energy. No one's going to outwork you, and that's one of the keys. Best of luck. I hope the committee picks you, and you're out there, and you got a, a sprint to February. Thanks, Kellen. Kellen Curry. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Near the end of that pause last Wednesday, Thursday, when we were getting towards the end, uh, Hamas was still holding on to women that should have been the next to be released. They refused to release them. They broke the deal, came up with excuses why. Ultimately, I don't think any of those excuses were credible, and I shouldn't get into any of them here. Um, but certainly one of the, the, the reasons that a number of people believe they refused to release them is they didn't want people to hear what those women would have to say publicly. Uh, that is Matt Miller, spokesperson for the State Department, trying to tell uh, the press why they did break off the hostage negotiations. And they'll go back and try to get it going again. But they told Hamas, release all the women and give us a list. And the sense is if these women come out and tell their stories about rape and abuse, that it's going to get even worse in the PR war, which Hamas is doing surprisingly well in. And they deny that any of that stuff happened. When the sad part is uh, people buy that, even though they put a lot of their horrific acts on social media. So there should not be any question. Eli Lake, contributing editor for Commentary Magazine, columnist for The New York Sun, host of the Reeducation podcast, joins us now. Eli, the falling apart of the hostage negotiations, uh, everybody wants every hostage out, but Israel is getting antsy. They knew they had to finish this job. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, they're sadly, I, I don't think it's going to work this time with Israel because the Israelis are so focused on the mission of destroying Hamas's, Hamas and its infrastructure in Gaza. But the rest of the world, some of the messages that we mix messages, as I say, we get from the Biden administration, it suggests that there's a there's a ticking time clock right now. And so when you have the pauses to allow releases of hostages, and by the way, in exchange for the release of, of hardened, oftentimes security risk criminals, it's a little bit different because there's a military court system, so not everybody has had trials. But these are people who've been, you know, who are not the equivalent of, of innocents who are just abducted. Um, you know, the, I think that the hope was that Hamas and its and its patrons that the world would tell Israel they, they had to stop at that point as Hamas would live to, to fight another day. And that cannot happen at this point. So I, I you know, I, it's, it's almost better if it's a quicker war. Um, so, I mean, obviously for Israel, but the quicker the war is, there's going to be more civilian casualties. It's really a, a no-win situation for the Israelis. So, so the Wall Street Journal had a story today that the Israelis are considering with 800 miles of tunnel and 500, I think they found, uh, they're thinking about flooding it with seawater. But the downside yeah. would it might poison their drinking water when they do want to rebuild Gaza. Do you think that's a real plan? Well, they've, 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 there's a couple ways you can get at these tunnels. One of them is that. The other is using dogs and using drones and using robotics and things like that. There are different kinds of um, explosives that you can use in trying to destroy a tunnel. Um, there is a kind of equivalent of thermite bombs that would sort of turn it into, you know, blast it that way. But, I mean, there's only so many ways you can destroy these tunnels. I think one of them might be flooding them, yeah. So when we look at this operation now, is there another way that you know of that you've talked to so many military people for Israel to do this than to go in on the ground? Well, I mean, they are in, they're going in on the ground now in the Khan Yunus. I mean, they're in the ground. They're in Gaza. No, they my, my point is people yeah. are saying that there's too many civilians that are dying, and I don't know what the real number is. I don't go by Hamas's numbers. They don't really have a choice. I don't see anybody coming up with a plan other than, uh, you know, unless Hamas is going to surrender, this is all they can do, right? Yeah, and I think, listen, there will be decisions, I'm sure, that Israel made that you can look at in retrospect, you know, and hindsight is always twenty twenty, and you can say, well, that decision was based on intelligence that wasn't that great. And Israel does these after-action stuff for every war they take. There are lawyers that are embedded at every side of the stage of the process. But, you know, these are imperfect institutions, militaries, and they're comprised of human beings. Human beings are going to make mistakes. That is not the measure of whether an army is committing a genocide or a war crime or something like that. It's what you do when you find out, you know, you haven't met the mark. Do you punish perpetrators who've taken deliberate action? Israel has a history of that. But the point is, is that, you know, it doesn't really matter. The pro-Hamas kind of side of the ledger doesn't matter that Hamas videotape their atrocities doesn't matter that Hamas starts a war and hides among the civilian population. Um, you know, so I think it's important to just recognize that some of this criticism that Israel's getting is just entirely it's 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 not it, it's there's no point in taking it seriously from people who would find something to criticize with Israel, whatever it did. So I think the Israelis kind of understand this, and I'm hoping that Biden 
appear to understand this after October 7th and that he doesn't forget it as the more as the pressure sort of mounts. So we know, too, that the administration, we know we're watching our people get hit over 80 times now. And we've got to see our uh, ships being targeted and civilian ships now being targeted in the Red Sea and around the region. And there's been not much of a response, Eli. And the, the president evidently is the one making that decision or lack thereof. And the secretary of defense reportedly does nothing to stand up to him. So therefore, our guys are being targeted. This can't stay. It's only going to get worse unless we show some strength. You know this region. Am I right? I don't understand at this point. Every any time uh, an Iranian proxy, whether it's Hezbollah or some group in Iraq or the Houthis in Yemen, fires on an American target, the American response should be to hit an Iranian target inside of Iran. Because Iran right now has the benefit of dictating the the tempo and the pace of its low-level conflict with the United States at this point without having to pay a price, you know, in its own territory. Well, I think there, you know, Bush, George W. Bush made this point in the beginning of the war on terror. We're not going to distinguish whether you, you know, from a terrorist group and the regime that, you know, allows them and gives them safe haven. Well, I think it's time to start applying that rule to Iran. Um, you know, I mean, they're already out of their nuclear deal. It's not gonna, that's not going to be revived. So I just think that the response – I think it's – you know, I wouldn't announce it. I would just simply do it. And I think that that will probably be a way to, to tamp that down. Uh, a lot of people talking about Ukraine now. Uh, they're running out of money. They're running out of bullets. And we have to get them some money and some financing. This administration doesn't go to bat and tell this story, one, because the president's a terrible speaker. Uh, number two is it leaves it up to people like Lindsey Graham or General Jack Keane to do it. And people are saying, well, not until you fix the border. So Russia continues to uh, to uh, move forward the best they can. It seems to be in a standstill as we wait for the F-16s, uh, uh, the pilots to be trained in for Ukraine to actually get an air force. Now they got these stories leaking out, Eli, that they tried to do a tabletop last summer and uh, last spring and that the Ukrainians wanted to do their own thing and it hasn't worked out and it's all their fault. What's at stake with the Ukraine war? A lot is at stake. Um, I think in the end, NATO itself is at stake in a sense because you have to – Russia has to pay a very severe price for – you know, violating its own earlier commitments to Ukraine's territorial integrity and, you know, its general sort of aggression in general. So I think that's very important. Um, will Ukraine be able to recover all of the territory it's lost in 2014? At this point, as much as I wish I could say, I would love to say yes. I don't know that, that they will. Um, will there have to be Ukraine? But having a frozen conflict is a win for Russia at this point. So I blame in some ways, you know, the mother may I approach of Biden, you know, is, ends, ends up doing the right thing and giving the Ukrainians what they asked for. But it takes it's always two months late. And there was never kind of a it seems like a, a, an understanding, like just give them what they want the first time. I hear you. And try to get it out there. Maybe that wouldn't have made it much of a difference. The, the Russians are a larger country. They have more people they can throw at it. They've taken conscripts from their prisons. Um, they're not good fighters, but they're just – I mean the idea that Russia is going to pay a price because they'll be under sanctions 
is ridiculous. They have to really pay a price. So and, uh, so the, uh, the Poland security chief so says that Eastern Europe has three years to fend off a Russian attack. They always says they keep on going. They made it clear that they were, uh, they're going after the Baltic nations next. They've already infiltrated into Moldova and have any additional success with Georgia. That has to be explained to the American people. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there is an argument that you can say, listen, Ukraine wasn't part of the alliance. So it didn't require, through Article 5, a commitment from the United States to defend its territory, even though the United States obviously, you know, done a lot of assistance. And if there was an attack on an Estonia or Latvia or Lithuania, which would be like the next in line, the question is, did President Biden or the next president tell Americans that we're going to enter a war with Russia to defend a country they, they, they may not be able to find on the map? And I don't know that – I think that's a very difficult thing politically, but that's why the, the – you're right. The, the, the ground needs to be laid now to explain why that's important and that Russia needs to be contained. I hear you. Eli Lake, always great to hear from you. Congratulations uh, on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, always. the Reeducation Podcast. Look it up. Eli Lake, thank you. Thank you. All right, we come back. We'll do a simulcast on FBN. In the back end, we'll be able to squeeze in some calls. Brian Kilmeade, Joe, so glad you're here. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, we're going to be on with Stuart Varney in a matter of moments. We'll talk about what's happening with the election. Big debate tomorrow night. And then we have the town hall tonight with Donald Trump and uh, Sean Hannity. I'm curious to see a lot of people are coming out and saying, uh, Donald Trump is slipping. Donald Trump is old. I just look at that as a total tactic. And I also think Governor Christie said uh, last week, who's the biggest critic of Donald Trump out there right now, probably, bar none. Well, let's listen to uh, Stuart Varney. Three, two, one. Put him on. There he is, Brian Kilmeade, the man himself. Brian, Chris Christie has officially qualified for tomorrow night's debate. That means four candidates take the stage. But 60% of Republicans and 21% of independents say... They'll vote for Trump in the primary. It just seems like Trump's unstoppable at this point, doesn't it, Brian? It does, but remember, it's all polls. This is all spring training. Uh, as much as the poll, you know, one minute you, people want to dismiss the polls and say they don't matter, and then they want to say the polls do matter, look at them. I think Trump is uh, undoubtedly up top on, uh, in front. But I would think that those four on the stage are thinking this. 91 charges, four indictments. I want to be standing if the American public says, if convicted, I can't vote for him. And that's what they're looking at. Also, Nikki Haley and Governor DeSantis are picking up a lot of valuable steam. For example, if DeSantis gets crushed in Iowa, I think he's done. But if he has the governor behind him and the number one uh, Christian evangelical behind him, and he's gone to all 99 counties, and he's uh, doing what he's doing right now, looking very strong after that strong debate last week, if he does well in, in Iowa, he's in for the long haul. And Nikki Haley's ready to, to make noise in New Hampshire and that's where Chris Christie makes his stand. But Donald Trump says, OK, I'm leading. But there's only 1.4 million people in New Hampshire. Can anyone in New Hampshire look at Iowa and change their vote? Governor Chris Sununu says yes. So I've created some intrigue. Am I right, uh, Stuart? 
Yeah, yeah, it ain't over till it's over. It looks like he's going to win, but you can be absolutely sure. And it's all about Iowa and New Hampshire. I mean, it's hard to see a way for him to come, uh, to, to, uh, for DeSantis or Haley to actually beat him. That, that's my point. Very hard to see him beating. Except that the only thing is the wild card is the charges. It's not whether he's going to overturn Obamacare or not. It's not whether you're going to touch Social Security, as Nikki Haley talks about a new program. If, they, if the American public say that's the person that's going to beat Joe Biden and he can't leave the courtroom and he can't campaign and they see some revelations that maybe have independents and suburban women go back the other way, that'll be the issue where the, the, other, the others will say, hey, that's why I'm here. I'm an option. I haven't dropped out yet. But it's hard to get his core supporters away from him. I think that would be, and we both agree on that one, I think. Oh, we do. Uh, Biden's, Biden's campaign announced it's uh, got a new team for South Carolina. There's a presidential primary there in February. Part of their plan to show strength ahead of the election. But look, you know we're going to see another basement strategy, don't you? That's, Biden, that's the only thing Biden can do here, the basement strategies. The, uh, the surrogate slash basement strategy. He's going to have all these people fanned out, Governor Newsom, Governor Pritzker, He's going to have his vice president going out playing him. And he's going to go to fundraisers like he's doing in Massachusetts and in, over in Los Angeles. But what does it say about the, to the American public and the Democratic voter? Last year, Jim, Jim Clyburn really picked last term who the nominee was going to be. The people were picking Sanders. Remember Hillary Clinton? She started getting pressure. And we find out Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was running the DNC behind, this, uh, behind the closed doors, Do, Donna Brazile giving Hillary Clinton the answers on the debate. And then Debbie Wasserman Schultz making sure that Hillary Clinton got all the support, making sure Bernie Sanders didn't win. And now they're saying no New Hampshire, no Iowa. I don't like them. We're going to just forget about Dean Phillips. We're going to forget about RFK Jr. We're just going to kick them out and ignore them. So to me, South Carolina, he's never going to win it. He should have invested in New Hampshire. That's a state he could win in the general. But he just wants the glory in South Carolina. I just find it baffling. Um. I see tonight uh, Trump will be with Sean. That's a huge exposure for Trump. Meanwhile, Biden will be, again, I can go back to this basement campaign, he's just raising money in various parts of the country. Very prominent Republican exposure, um, and Biden not in the public eye this week. Last word to you. I, I just look for Trump to show competence. They're trying the best they can to say, yeah, Joe Biden might be losing a step, but Donald Trump's just as bad. I've been watching other channels after they're doing Tonight, show him he hasn't. Uh, as Chris Christie said, his greatest critic, I don't think he's losing a step. I think the pressure of these charges and these cases is getting to him. And who wouldn't? Everybody would be. One of those cases would get the average American, let alone 91 charges and four separate indictments and two or three civil trials. So maybe yeah. that's getting to him tonight. Enjoy yourself. Tell you what you would have been different from last week's debate and tell, tell you how much better you are than Joe Biden. That should be his focus. You got it right. Brian, thanks a lot. I know we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much indeed. Mr. Thank you, Stuart Money. Appreciate it. 1-866-408-7669. So that's what I would do tonight. I would have fun. And I would know what I would do, too, if, uh, if Sean asked. I'd roll some clips from the red state, blue state debate last week and say, how would you answer this? What would you say to Gavin Newsom? What would you say to Ron DeSantis here? What would you say to him? You know, Ron DeSantis is losing in Florida. When Marco Rubio lost in Florida... He, re he said, I'm out. When if, you know, if DeSantis gets to Florida and loses, he's got to be out. But I think it's if he, you know, if it turns out this caucus thing is impossible to pull. If they go into caucus and Ron DeSantis got all this Iowa momentum and he, he wins Iowa, 
he immediately becomes a contender in New Hampshire. And South Carolina is always going to be tough with the governor of South Carolina, so he's got a built-in excuse. But suddenly donors will come back if it seems possible that DeSantis could win. So for me, here's uh, Chris Sununu yesterday uh, about, about what he thinks could happen. Cut 11. Obviously, all the candidates, they're, they're laying ground in Iowa, as they should. they got to go to their 99 counties. But Iowa's a caucus, right? It's very different. In New Hampshire, we're going to have probably the highest voter turnout ever. Uh, the highest voter turnout across the country is, is likely what we'll see in the, through the whole primary process. Folks are really getting engaged. You can't skip cities and towns. You can't just, you know, buy some media and, and hope it's going to work for you. Um, you got to make that, that uh, sell, if you will, on a one-on-one basis. Trump really isn't doing it. He flies in. He does a rally. He kind of drones on for 90 minutes about God knows what, and then he flies out. These other candidates are actually making connections and building relationships. That's Governor Sununu. Doesn't hate Trump, but doesn't think he can win. I wonder if he still feels that way, seeing that the polls show he wins maybe the last four or five major polls. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Glad you're here. We're back in action. I'm going to be going back in uh, back on tour over the weekend. Going to be heading out to uh, Dayton, Ohio. Then home to show in North Carolina, in between in Kentucky. Go to BrianKillMe.com. That's what I'll be talking about, Teddy and Booker T, how two American icons uh, blaze the path to racial equality. I think you'll like the book. I've enjoyed meeting all of you out and about, especially around the radio stations. Joel Rosenberg is the editor-in-chief of All Israel News and All Arab News uh, in Israel right now, the CEO of the Near East Media. He's going to bring us, and a New York Times bestselling author, he's going to bring us insight what's happening politically in Israel. Jennifer Griffin is standing by to tell us the latest uh, with the Pentagon. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's a lot of Republicans who have no intent on negotiating. They want their extreme demands met or they're going to hand Ukraine to Vladimir Putin. Yes, uh, that is true. That is Senator Chris Murphy in oversimplification. Get it done. Two years, uh, two wars, Israel and Ukraine, and an ally in Taiwan who needs funding. Our broken border needs fixing, and Congress needs to act now. It's going to take some action and some compromise. Number two. I do think, especially in New Hampshire, there is a path to kind of break this uh, assumption that Donald Trump is somehow just a preemptive nominee. He's not. Uh, not at all. And most people really won't even decide who they're voting for till whether it's in the next couple of weeks or even maybe even after Christmas. Well, Governor Sununu has been wrong before uh, 2024. Then there were four. That's all that's left. And next GOP debate is tomorrow. The final four, Christy Vivek, DeSantis and Haley, who are battling for second as Trump primes for a town hall with Sean Hannity tonight. Number one, it is outrageous that some who claim to stand for justice are closing their eyes and their hearts to the victims of Hamas. When I saw the list of women's rights organizations who have said nothing, I nearly choked. That is uh, Hillary Clinton, Sheryl Sandberg, and Senator Kristen Gillibrand. Stand up, speak out, and just shut it down. That's the message to all those who discount the brutality of October 7th and the pro-Hamas protests rage in America and frustrations mount as President Biden's relatively timid response in the Red Sea and around the region with Syria, Iraq, 
with the attacks on our troops. The frustration is mounting, and it's all sponsored in some way, shape, or form by Iran. That is not news to Jennifer Griffin, Fox News Channel's chief national security correspondent. Jennifer, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Jennifer, how surprised were you, if at all, with the attacks on the civilian ships over the weekend in the Red Sea? It's truly shocking, Brian. I think people need to pay attention right now. We heard, I've been hearing privately from particularly Navy officers who understand what it means, uh, what this, what was basically an hours-long firefight on the high seas in the Red Sea at one of the key choke points uh, for commercial shipping, uh, the Bab al-Mendab, where Yemen is the closest country, and these these ballistic missiles were being fired. This is unprecedented at at four separate shipping vessels. Three were hit by ballistic missiles. It's a miracle that they didn't sink. Uh, the U.S. Navy, of course, was on uh, on alert, and the USS Kearney. I mean, the USS Kearney, those sailors have seen more combat right now than almost any, uh, any part of the military in the last few months. They have shot down uh, drones. Yet, uh, on Sunday, they shot down three Iranian proxy drones that were threatening not only those commercial shipping vessels, which are are linked to 14 separate countries. I mean, this is an attack on freedom of navigation, on the world economy. Those shipping vessels are going to start having to go all the way around the Cape of Good Hope. That's going to add a huge amount of money to shipping uh, between uh, Europe and Asia. And guess who gets to pay for that? That will come out in consumer prices. So this is a very serious escalation. The U.S. Navy has been doing yeoman's work in in the Red Sea, uh, stopping not not only ballistic missiles heading toward Elat in Israel, but also these constant Houthi attacks. But really, what we saw on Sunday is unprecedented. We heard that from the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who's a Navy man, Admiral Chris Grady, just yesterday. So we have that as a challenge, and we know that Iran's behind uh, all of it, if not calling the shots, because there'll be no Houthi rebels without them. There'll be no Hamas likely without them. There'll be no thriving Hezbollah without them. So and we know there'll be no uh, Iranian or those militias in Iraq without them. So how long are we going to pretend as if Iran's not behind all this? A hundred percent. It's very strange because if you listen to Jake Sullivan, who was speaking at the White House yesterday, he pins it on Iran. The the, the statements coming from the Pentagon. Uh, you heard Lloyd Austin over the weekend at the Reagan National Defense Forum. You heard Jake Sullivan yesterday. They blame this on Iran. The CENTCOM statement that came out Sunday, it blames these attacks on Iran, not just Iranian-backed proxies, but Iran. And yet there is no action against Iran. They haven't put the Houthis back on the terror list. They haven't... Uh, uh, had Iran has not paid a single price in, in for these uh, what's been we've documented now 75 attacks against U.S. troops, not including the attacks by the Houthis on uh, Navy vessels and and commercial shipping vessels in the Red Sea. So this is getting to be a uh, an inflection point. It is very clear that the White House and the National Security Council does not want to expand uh, the Israel-Hamas conflict. So they are being very very careful. Because if you start looking at the escalation ladder, if you were to follow what your words are saying at the White House uh, uh, podium and also from your defense secretary, you would have to strike Iran right now. And yet 
There is no plan for that. Uh, they're sending an envoy out to the Middle East to talk about an international task force, a Navy task force, um, to you know, to on the high seas. But they already had that. Have that. They have a task force that was to deal with piracy. And guess what? There were uh, a number of Chinese. Uh, war vessels that are a part of that task force who stood by as the Houthis attacked commercial shipping vessels. So it's uh, the international approach is not working. The U.S. military has a lot of assets now deployed to the Middle East, but it is not deterring Iran. It's not deterring these proxies. And uh, we're hitting a point where, where something else is going to have to be done. If Absolutely. You, if you listen to the military. So uh, there are reports that there's a frustration among the military ranks that we're not acting stronger, that they feel like sitting ducks. Do you hear Mm -hmm. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only do I hear it from troops that are on the ground. I mean, remember, you've got 900 troops at at various small bases. They are taking incoming rockets and drones almost daily. You have another uh, another almost 2,000 in, in Iraq. They are under constant fire. It's a miracle that nobody has been killed. And let me tell you, I mean, the problem is the, the, uh, the White House has defined this as, you know, if an American is killed, then we're going to do something. Well, you've got to do something before an American is killed. And right now, the actions that have been taken are little pinprick strikes that often they have to inform Iran and Tehran that they've even done because they're so isolated in where they're striking. So it's it's not enough. It's not deterring anyone. And guess what? China is watching. The whole point of freedom of navigation is that you cannot have attacks on commercial shipping vessels. That, it, that impacts the entire global economy. And that is what is at stake out in the Taiwan Straits and in the South China Sea. And so, trust me, Beijing is watching. They are. And does it bother you? It bothers me anyway that this is exactly what Russia wants. They want us distracted with the Middle East. They want us bogged down here. They don't want to talk about the Ukrainian war, let alone missile systems or defense systems that would be going to them might be going to Israel. This is all a a an effort by Putin to divert attention from Ukraine. There is no way. I guarantee you when you look back at the intelligence that led up to the Hamas strike on Israel on on October 7th, the massive terror attack, uh, the constant Houthi uh, firing on on U.S. shipping and uh, Navy vessels, the uh, the the links between Russia and Iran and Iran is linked to all these proxy attacks on U.S. forces. It is to divert attention from Russia taking over Ukraine. Right now, there is a very important uh, briefing being held on Capitol Hill with Ukrainian leaders who are there to make their case. The Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is going up to explain to Congress that they should not mess around any longer with this aid to Ukraine. They're going to run out of military aid to Ukraine on Friday if uh, Zelensky and the Ukrainian military does not get uh, more weapons going into this winter fight, uh, Putin will win. And they say that they will run out on Friday. This is this is an absolutely – for people not to understand how all of this is connected and how dangerous it is for the United States of America. Of course the border is important, but stop holding the American people and the world hostage with these these crazy 
um, fights on Capitol Hill that stop funding and put us at a disadvantage. These are own goals that we're scoring every day up on Capitol Hill. It is absolutely insane. And for people who say that Joe Biden was solely responsible for Afghanistan, the way they left, the way he defied his generals, they're right. But if this falls apart, if Ukraine falls apart, Republicans will be to blame. President Biden's got to explain this story. He's got to go out there and win people over. I don't think he's capable of doing it, but there's other people that could. Instead, I think General Jack Keane and Lindsey Graham do a better job than anybody else. Well, Brian, I will point you to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's speech, keynote address to the Reagan National Defense Forum on Saturday. Everyone should go back and listen to it because I've never heard him more full-throated in terms of not only defending Israel, but also the importance of the Ukraine fight. It was a full-throated Good. laying out of the of, of why Ukraine matters and why it's linked to Taiwan, why it's linked to what's happening in Israel. Uh, this is go time. This is not a time to play games up on Capitol Hill. And you're right. Republicans will be blamed if Ukraine falls and if Putin takes over a European country, because guess what? He's not stopping there. Moldova is already being infiltrated. Am I right? Georgia, through political process, uh, they're already buying off politicians to take more of it. And then you know the Baltic nations in a story out today are saying that they think they have three to five years before they're basically attacked. Brian... Look at what's happening in Finland. Nobody's paying attention. Finland, for the first time since 1941, has closed its border with Russia because Russia was basically flooding uh, flooding uh, Middle Eastern immigrants across the border there. It's part of the hybrid warfare. They are, they are influencing elections in Europe. They are influencing uh, on the ground through, through immigration and straining the economy. There's a reason that they attacked uh, the grain silos in Ukraine to push food prices up around the world. World. Uh, this is a this is a hybrid war that is taking place right now. This is not just about Ukraine. This is about saving the global world order. And you're either on the side of autocrats or you're there on the side of democracies. And the U.S. If the U.S. doesn't lead on this front, nobody else is capable of it. Do you have any idea how close those pilots are to getting into Ukraine? I know they got the F-15s or F-16s. They're being trained right now. Do you know how close they are? It's a good question, but it's all been delayed and it's held up again. If they don't have F-16s there, it doesn't make any difference if you've got pilots who can fly them. If you don't have Abrams tanks there, you, you, you aren't going to win on the ground. They need the long range. You've heard General Ben Hodges say it. You've heard multiple uh, retired generals who are saying what the Pentagon can't say right now. If you don't have those uh, long-range fires to be able to hit uh, you hit Russia in Crimea and at the basis from which they are attacking civilian populations in Ukraine, then Putin wins. Get those weapons moving so that Ukraine can win. Otherwise, we all lose. Well, I mean, just typical. I mean, if the their border needs to be bolstered in the right way, that helps our national security, too. Obviously, I don't know what all these Chinese are doing there, showing up with pocket protectors, uh, landing in Mexico and walking across the border. No idea if they're escaping or if they're infiltrating. Uh, but border needs to be addressed. They should be able to do this. Border is incredibly important. There's no doubt about it. The security of the U.S. border has to be addressed. But if there's a great deal of hypocrisy, if Republicans want to accept the border to help with the border, why tie it to Ukraine and Israel? Pass a pass comprehensive immigration and border security. Force the Biden administration to act and do it now. But don't hold the world hostage 
well, well, we we have these domestic squabbles. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but I just I mean, comprehensive takes years. Uh, they're gonna have to hammer. Okay, everybody. fine. Then then um, everybody needs to get on board, and it, it it's got to happen. But I, I'm just telling you, there are people who are just trying to gum this up, and they right. aren't actually interested in a solution. Ukraine and Israel must be supported right now. It is a very crucial moment in these conflicts. And I'm just looking right now on Politico. Uh, Stoltenberg, uh, who I spoke to about three months ago, says, get ready for bad news on Ukraine. If you're not going to support a, a, a country, wars comes in phases. If you're not going to support a country in bad times, uh, don't support it in good times. And it's like you got to just help them out right now. Um, and I saw that Washington Post story about different things that happened last spring. I'm wondering what people trying to get their ducks in line for, a, for an alibi should, should Kiev fall. I mean, it's just it's uh, it's incomprehensible. It, 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 t- go back to 1939. What if the the West and the Allies had actually succeeded in stopping World World War II? This is a moment where you could actually prevent World War III, and it is time to go all in and stop messing around. Yeah, it would be great, uh, Jennifer. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. I hear you. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. I see you up there, uh, New York and Los Angeles. And then Joe Rosenberg at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to go out to Israel for that. But your call's next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Bobby. Uh, Look. I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. You stand your ground, sir, and don't get bogged down by all the haters out there. Stay strong. Merry Christmas. Hey, uh, that is uh, the disgraced George Santos. He did a cameo. He gets $200 a shot. And he was commissioned by Senator Fetterman to go after Menendez. So Fetterman's got a sense of humor, but does believe, to his credit, that Menendez should be out if George Santos could be out. So taking on his own party. Howard, listen on the WABC app. Hey, Howard. Yes. How you doing? Um, I'm a little bit concerned about the uh, the losses in the election. We see the consequences sure. of these the 2020 and all these losses. And, and I don't think that the Republicans have learned the lesson, really, on how to win. They don't seem to understand the strength of the of the Democratic Party. First of all, I will tell you statistically, women vote more often than men in every age group. So there's a very big part of, uh, of votes that I don't think Donald Trump can get. People have very strong feelings for him, and a lot of people actually hate him, just as many people as as love him. So I think, uh, look, I'm, I'm a Floridian. I like the Sanders, but I, we have to go with the best odds of winning. We can't afford to lose the election. And so you think Nikki Haley, who beats Nikki him in double Haley digits? in every poll shows that she has the best chance of, women, of, of winning because she connects to women. And I, I really don't think that the, the, they, they understand that, that uh, the use of propaganda is a very strong tool when it comes so to— So, Howard, how many people think like you, and how many people are just going to go Trump regardless? I, that's my. That's the problem. People are just going to go Trump regardless, which is a huge mistake, and will lose. Will lead to another loss in 2024. They they're underestimating the power of the dark side, and they will suffer the same fate of 2020. Well, they do have. A, they, he's running against the weakest opponents in the history of the Democratic Party, 
and Donald Trump is beating him the last four, but who knows what's going to happen down the line. Howard, you echo the, the worry of a lot of people. I'm looking right now at the television. I'm seeing thousands of people stream into our country. That would not be happening under Trump. When we come back, Joel Rosenberg, the latest from Israel and more. Everyone stay on board. We'll end with phone calls. Brian Kilmeade here. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fact that it seems one of the reasons they don't want to turn women over that they've been holding hostage and the reason this pause fell apart is they don't want those women to be able to talk about what happened to them during their time in custody. Um, Certainly, there is very uh, little that I would put beyond Hamas when it comes to its treatment of civilians and particularly its treatment uh, of women. Uh, That is uh, speculation uh, by our State Department that the reason why, or that was insight, I should say, over the reason why the hostage negotiation fell apart. They did not want to provide a list of all the women and children they were still holding back. And a lot of the women, when they did come forward and were released, would tell horrific stories about their time in captivity. Joel Rosenberg joins us now, the editor-in-chief of All Israel News and All Arab News, and the president and CEO of Near East Media, New York Times bestselling author. Joel uh, your reaction to how the hostage negotiations breaking off? Did were you were we hearing the correct story? Yeah, Brian, great to be with you from Jerusalem. And it, you may hear booms, but they're not rockets. We're having a huge uh, lightning and thunderstorm now in Jerusalem. So uh, just just in case. Uh, but look, um, you know, there was all those calls from the administration from. Uh, uh, pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas groups all over the world, ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. So Israel agrees to a five, six-day ceasefire, and what happens? Uh, Hamas is the one that broke it, just as they broke it on October 7th. Um, and we are, but, but what you're not hearing in the media right now is that Israel is winning this war, pushing very, very deep and very hard against Hamas uh, strongholds in Gaza. But back to this point about, uh, about the women, this is a huge issue, and it's our lead story right now at All Israel News, AllIsrael.com, which is this idea that, that uh, Hamas was using rape, sexual torture, uh, in addition to murder and all other kinds of torture against Israeli girls and women. And we're hearing more and more reports of this. Uh, they were also sexually abused in the tunnels in, in captivity. And yet the world isn't speaking out. The U.N. isn't speaking out. You don't have much from the administration or from Congress yet speaking out, you know, to her credit. And I don't say that often, Brian. Hillary Clinton yesterday came out forcefully to condemn uh, unequivocally this type of um, yeah, attack in fact, against yeah, in fact, uh, let's Israeli let our, women and girls. Yeah, let's let our audience hear that and show Sandberg. Cut three. It is outrageous that some who claim to stand for justice are closing their eyes and their hearts to the victims of Hamas. The world has to decide who to believe. Do we believe the Hamas spokesperson who said that rape is forbidden, therefore it couldn't have possibly happened on October 7th? Or do we believe the women whose bodies tell us how they spent the last minutes of their lives? When I saw the list of women's rights organizations who have said nothing, I nearly choked. Where is the solidarity for women in this country and in this world to stand up for our mothers, our sisters, and our daughters? Yeah, no joke. I mean, we're seeing this over and over again. So uh, we've been seeing a lot of the blowback, for, but but the squad here in America, we used to say, well, that's a well left-wing organization. And 
they used to get mad at Republicans for characterizing them as the spokespeople for their party. But now there's more than just Tlaib and Jayapal. There's the whole next generation seems to be uh, sympathetic towards the Palestinian and Hamas. That's right, Brian. And this is the challenge is that it's it's difficult. Nobody wants to throw around the term anti-Semitism loosely. But when you have people who have identified themselves as fighters for women's rights, for protecting women and girls, and you don't hear them say a peep um, about uh, this brutal, horrific, disgusting, uh, repugnant uh, sexual attacks on Israeli Jewish women and girls, then you think, well, what's the difference? What's the difference? Why would they speak out against Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby but not against Hamas? It's because they have a different agenda and that they, they're, they're indicating by their silence that it's okay uh, to rape and sexually torture Jewish women and girls, and that's disgusting. Well, tell me what about the progress on the ground. We, we don't know how many Hamas fighters are left. What is, the, what is the conventional wisdom on how many Hamas fighters are left and how much fighting there is to do? Well, Brian, uh, the, the general intelligence estimate that has been at least made public is that there'd be between uh, thirty and 40,000 uh, Hamas uh, terrorists uh, when the war started. Uh, now, the Hamas Health Service in Gaza, say 15,000 civilians, quote-unquote, have been killed. Uh, the vast majority of those we, we know are not civilians. They are actual – the actual terrorists that we have in Israel have been targeting. Uh, so uh, obviously there have been – and tragically there have been uh, 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 killings of innocent civilians who are being held as human shields by Hamas. But I would suggest that, that you know it would be a fair estimate if that 15,000 number is even remotely accurate that 75, 80, maybe 90 percent of those are in fact terrorists, which would suggest – um, that uh, you know, upwards of half of the Hamas uh, fighting force could have been taken out over these last 60 days. Uh, Hamas uh, is now being pushed back. They sort of hoped that the, the brief ceasefire would give them time to retrench, rearm, uh, recover. But in fact, Israel has, has used that time very wisely and is now pushing deep into the south into Hamas's most uh, probably most serious and important uh, central command stronghold, which is a city called Khan Yunus, which is in the south of uh, of Gaza. So there are still, you know, there's a long fight ahead of us. Uh, but what I don't see in most of the mainstream media is the idea that Israel is actually winning yeah. and taking terrorists off the table. Well, you are you are uh, discovering these tunnels, and now there was during the Wall Street Journal. You're thinking about letting it being overrun by seawater. Would that be a would that be something that is a real option for you guys rather than just blowing up the tunnels? Perhaps. I mean, obviously, it's being studied. You got you, you got a, a number of things. We found over 800 tunnels so far. Basically, you have. I mean, you live in New York, uh, Brian. You basically have the Gaza subway system, except that no civilian is actually allowed to go down there. It's only allowed for terrorists. The problem we have at the moment. Brian, is that what if there are hostages in some of those tunnels? We have to be very careful using um, using uh, basically underground, uh, you know, robots and things to try to find as far as we can see to make sure we're not going to end up killing accidentally our own people. 
But you may recall when President al-Sisi took over in, in, in Egypt a number of years ago, about 10 years ago, what did he do? He was so worried about terror tunnels between the Sinai Peninsula and Gaza, he flooded them, those tunnels, with raw sewage. And uh, that, I remember that getting my attention and thinking, huh, that is a different kind of leader in Cairo right now. We have not seen that. Uh, people using raw sewage to uh, block up tunnels by terrorists, but uh, it was impressive. So we'll see. I mean, it's it's more of a, a geological uh, assessment as well as a make sure we don't harm our own people uh, assessment at this point. So I understand that you'd hit a major weapons depot in uh, in Hez- uh, in Lebanon where Hezbollah is located. Is there a sense that Hezbollah wants to get involved or less likely to get involved now? Is it in Israel's interest to take them on right now? Well, they're very involved. In fact, uh, starting within days of, of the October 7th invasion by Hamas in the south, Hezbollah started attacking in the north. Now, this is getting less attention in the American media, and that's a mistake because uh, because the fact that they're they're attacking Israel so intensely, including missile attacks today on our biggest city in the north, a place called Kiryat Shmona, is an indicator that uh, Iran, which is, you know, the direct funder and uh, arms supplier and and essentially director of both Hezbollah in the north and Hamas in the south, they're the ones setting all this into motion. And they're also uh, – uh, Iran has also attacked more than uh, 60 times against U.S. forces uh, in the Middle East. I think this comes back to the larger question. When is the Biden administration – going to take seriously that they're getting a bloody nose day after day after day, not just the United States, but America's most important ally in the Middle East, Israel. And yet the Biden administration has done almost nothing to punch back. And I think this, we have a 60 it's days embarrassing. In, seriously, it is seriously, ab- it's absolutely embarrassing. The United States of America. Yeah. So in Politico today, uh, anonymous DOD official says, if our ships see something is coming near them or toward them, they're going to assess it as a threat and shoot it down. You'd be hard-pressed to find another time. People are thinking this is an Israel thing because they are heavy-handed in Gaza and no one's saying anything. The world should be uh, condemning this, but they're not. And there's frustration among the American defense uh, that we're not hitting back harder. And and, and if, yeah. I'm, if I'm enlisted and <laughs> I'm sitting in right. Iraq... Uh, and I, I'm, I'm targeted every day, and I can't even hit back. We have superior firepower and intelligence. I mean, we we hit five in Iraq, but this has got to this is come, all coming from uh, Iran. How do you explain the Houthi rebels' approach? Do they know that they're they're just out there just taking shots at everybody? They feel impervious. Well, the Houthi rebels are the closest that that the world has to cavemen at this point. I mean, literally, they, this is not an, a sophisticated group of people. This is not a people with uh, sophisticated weapons. Uh, this is this is very, very primitive. So how are they getting ballistic missiles capable of reaching Israel, which is almost 2,000 kilometers from them? Obviously, it's coming from Iran, and it's being directed by Iran. It's being guided by Iranian um, uh, Quds forces or uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps. The point is we are getting attacked from every direction. As long as your terrorist organization has an H at the beginning of it, you get funding and direction and arms from uh, from Iran, right? you got the Houthis, you got the Hamas, and you got the Hezbollah. All of this shows what, what Prime Minister Netanyahu keeps saying is true, which is 
this is not about a war just against Israel. It's ultimately a war against the United States and the West more broadly. And the sooner the United States engages and shows itself to be a serious uh, you know, superpower and take the fight to Hamas or to, to Iran, the better. You don't have to go like, you know, I'm you know, I'm gonna say this facetiously, but you don't have to nuke Tehran to punch these guys in the nose. But you have to start causing damage. Don't fire at a warehouse uh, with nobody in it. Don't fire at tents. You've got to st- – the Biden administration has to get serious uh, because actual American soldiers and Marines and, mm-hmm. and naval personnel are getting wounded. Um, we haven't and, seen a we're, death We're yet. talking to Joe Rosenberg uh, right in Jerusalem. Joe, have kids back in school? In most parts of the country, yes, but then there are occasional moments where, where they're told not to come to school. But but is there any sense of normalcy yet in, in Israel? Um, yeah. You know, the funny thing about this, uh, uh, I've been coming here for 36 years. I've been a citizen for almost 10. You start to learn to, ha- to go with the rhythm. Israelis don't want to bog down and do nothing. So, you you know, it's it, it, we, the first few weeks were intense and we shut the schools. And then you're like, all right, we got to get back to real life, even while we support our troops and uh, we, we pray for and, and work to get our hostages back. So I, you can't call it normal. Uh, this isn't normal, but, uh, but Israelis are very resilient, and I'm proud to be one of them. I hear you. Uh, anything else you think we should know about what, what's happening? Uh, Netanyahu is not going to have a threat to his regime right now? Well, he's still on a corruption trial, and actually there's a hearing this week on that because uh, it's a trial that just has to go on. Uh, but no, right now, uh, look, honestly, Brian, I don't think he survives politically when this is over, but that's a different issue for a different day. Right now, the country is very unified. I would say one other thing. Uh, there are about a thousand Christians in in Gaza, Palestinian Christians. They're sheltering in three different church areas uh, in in Gaza City. I've been really asking the world to be praying for them. We need to get more international aid and relief uh, supplies to them, and then eventually just get them out because they can't just blend in with the two million Muslims uh, in the society. They are really endangered, uh, just like ISIS slaughtered uh, Christians in Iraq and Syria. We can't just ask or force. Um, Palestinian Christians to blend in with the larger society, Hamas will terrorize them. So that's a, that's a concern I have for people to be aware of as well. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Joel Rosenberg, Inside uh, inside sure. Israel with All Israel News, All Arab News. Uh, he's over in Jerusalem. Thanks so much, Joel. Hey, when we come back, we'll wrap things up. Also, take your calls, one 408 Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What was labeled an insurrection lasted about three or four hours, uh, and it was, yeah, it was no match for the constitutional restraints which exist and would exist in a Trump second term. So, you know, to me, this is more of the same stuff. You remember we heard uh, before the January sixth began its utterly one-sided inquiry into what the January 6th committee began its utterly one-sided inquiry into what happened that day. Uh, the, the vice chairman of the committee said that we had come critically close to losing our democracy that day. Well, we didn't. Uh, and I don't think in, in a second term Trump would have much luck 
even if he tried to drive the country toward dictatorship, he's more likely to drive the Republican Party to a defeat of, at the hands of Joe Biden than he is to drive the country toward dictatorship. And that's what they're trying to do, what Britt Hume's referring to is this big story that's happening uh, all over uh, from the Washington Post and New York Times, uh, meet the press, face the nation, just say, well, if Donald, how scary would it be if Donald Trump continues to lead and actually wins the next election? He'll be totally out of control. He will not leave office. He will be unhinged. And Maggie Haberman, who seems to, you know, you could say anything and make it seem extreme. Joe Biden will do X, Y, and Z. Uh, Maggie Haberman ran down what her sources tell her, which is basically what Trump will do. He will actually talk to her and listen to how she characterized what Trump will do. Cut 14 piece in June was about how he said he was going to appoint a real special prosecutor, quote unquote, to go after President Biden and his family. He has talked about uh, wanting to have more control over, you know, cities. There was a, a comment that he made in March where he talked about, uh, you know, we're not we're not going to wait for permission to go in, something to that effect. He has a policy staff that is working on a, a very, very uh, radical immigration plan. It's not that dissimilar from what Trump was talking about in 2016. He has outside groups that are working on efforts to try to, uh, you know, not just staff a second administration, but help him gut the civil service and to try to take greater control over pockets of authority uh, of uh, independence within the government. So this is all from his own mouth. So a couple of things. He wants to have he wants to do an investigation of the Biden film because they've never been investigated. Rudy Giuliani did a terrible job. He was just walking over Ukraine trying to find out what was going on. Number two is he was in thoroughly investigated by President Biden while he was out of office. He wasn't doing it personally, but his Department of Justice certainly was. You don't get Jack Smith away from The Hague and sent him out to go pursue Trump in two separate cases unless you want a conviction or you certainly want him in trial. And you have this Georgia prosecutor, attorney general, who would not answer the question, are you collaborating with Jack Smith? The answer is yes. Then you have the civil trial on top of that. Who ran against that? So how radical is Joe Biden? What is his agenda? Okay. When he talks to enforcing the law, we're not watching anybody enforce the law. We're watching these cities run wild. He said, I'm not going to have permission to send federal troops in to bring law and order into the cities. I think that'll be welcome in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York. And I think he's going to have some people with him that he's going to understand. I don't think he's going to have lapdogs. I think he's going to have Robert O'Brien will be there. I think Lindsey Graham will probably get an offer. I think Kevin McCarthy will probably get an offer. I think Mike Pompeo will probably get an offer. All to come back. And who knows, maybe even a Reince Priebus, people with experience. Hey, uh, Teddy and Booker T, I'm going to be on the road this weekend uh, with, in Dayton, Ohio. The Lexington, Kentucky on the 9th at Joe Beth Booksellers. North Carolina, December 10th, Sunday at Barnes & Noble at 4 o'clock. And then two live shows, Pittsburgh and then Holland, Michigan. BrianKillMe.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.